go. Okay, who did that scream back there? That's one I gotta I gotta meet that person afterwards. No. Hi guys, my name is Bobby Delancelotti, and um, for some of you that don't know me, I'll just tell you a little bit about my background. Is that I was a pastor for 31 years in the Vineyard Movement, and I felt like, and I had a, in the last 10 years or so, I just continued this this great heart of uh, just like you guys are doing. I love the fact that what you do, how you reach out to the community you serve, and and the Lord has been uh, was speaking to my heart the last couple of years of, of that change coming in my life, and I knew that. Um, so at age 61, to make a long story short, I did a career change, which is a crazy thing to do. And just, but I always told people that, you know, to fearlessly follow Jesus wherever he leads you. And so I have, and I did. And so I resigned my position to be uh, on work with LifeWater International as their church mobilizer and an advocate. And I love doing that, talking about the poor and issues of justice. And usually every Sunday, when I go a different place, I'm talking about God's heart for the poor, justice, some of the, but today, you know, I'm speaking as just, um, not from life water, but just from the, hopefully from the heart of God. And, and uh, it's fun because I actually had a whole message prepared up to the, this morning and, uh, or yesterday morning, but actually changed my whole entire message because of a conversation I had with my wife. And I'll, I'll tell you that later in, in the middle of my message. So needless to say, I was up late last night. But, um, but we're talking about today, and I love uh, the theme for Highlands over this Christmas, which is Advent, a season of waiting. And uh, this week, we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, as I think about this term, Emmanuel, God, you know, sometimes we hear these terms, and they become so familiar that they lose the impact, don't they? <clears throat> think about this, Emmanuel, God with us. And I think in the Advent season, there's probably nothing more critical or more crucial or as important than this profound truth that God is with us. Yes, God's coming. He's coming at Christmas. He came and he's coming again. So we live in between the times. You know, in the, in the kingdom of God it's, has been fulfilled, but it's yet to be consummated. So, you know, we live in between the age, between Jesus' first coming <clears throat> and his second coming. And I know for a, lot of, for a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of people who go to church that the whole idea about Emmanuel, God with us, is something that we believe. It's something that uh, we know. But I wonder how many of us really have experienced that. Because what happens is when we go through times of difficulty, through times of struggle, through times of change, whatever it may be, those things get put to the test, don't they? Unless we've experienced the goodness of God, it's, it's one thing to know it. And in our, in our Western mind, too, knowledge is king. But in the Eastern mindset, you know, where the Bible is written, experience is really important as well, too. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is just the whole experience of, of knowing this profound truth. And in our season for waiting for Emmanuel, many of us are waiting for God to speak to us. Some of you, even I talk to people after the first service, they're going through incredibly difficult times, or they're waiting on God for, God, what about my children? What about this job? What about, can I pay my rent this month? What about my health? What about... You know, we, there's so many issues that many of us are wrestling with God over, and we're in these seasons of waiting. And I think, you know, in personal times of waiting, there's always two questions we should ask the Lord. The first question is simply this, Lord, what are you up to? And I think that's right. When you read the scripture, we should always be, God, what are you up to? And then how, what do you want me to do about it, basically? What should my response be? But it's important that we ask God, what are you up to? Now, we might not know all the details of it, the exact details, but 
Well, let me give you an overarching theme of what God is always doing in your life and in my life, in each one of our lives, when I think about what God's up to. And if each one of us are going to take the call of, of God seriously in our lives, we need to recognize the process that the Father uses to mature us, to grow us up, to change us, to make us more like him. You know, Paul said in, Ephesians, in Galatians 4.19, he said, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. So the apostle Paul, his heart's desire, he didn't want these people, he wanted to see people not just come to Christ, but he wanted to see Christ's nature literally formed in them. He, and you know, really that's the goal of our life. When I talk to people oftentimes, and I, I might have said this before, I don't know if I did or not, forgive me if I have, but um, oftentimes when I go speak, I've spoken around the country, around the world, different places, and I, a lot of, I, ask, I ask people a lot of times, what's the goal of being a follower of Jesus? And I wonder what you would think right now if I took a survey. But oftentimes people say, oh, the goal, that's easy, it's just to get to heaven. And I say, no, 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 you're missing it. That's not the goal, that's the destination. God's goal in your life and God's goal in my life is to make us more like him. That's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 is all about. You know, for God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he predestined that we might be conformed to the image and likeness of his son. See, your destiny and my destiny is God wants to change us and transform us to be like him. You know, to love like him, to care like him, to serve like him, to sacrifice like him. You know, to, to, he's our model. He's our hero. He's the one we want to emulate. No wonder the Bible says we're to be imitators of God as much-loved children. We're, we're to mimic him. We want to be like Jesus. And that's what changes the world. That's what changes your neighbor. That's what changes your children. Not your theology, not your preaching or, or whatever. Not your, but it's, it's our lives and the way that we, we demonstrate the love of Jesus and the way we put that into practice and the way we treat others is so vitally important. You know, one of the things that God once had spoke to me a long time ago, he said, Bobby, and believe me, this is a continual process. He says, man, I want you to grow up before you grow old. Because <laughs> you'll hint at who I am and stuff. And the reality is, if you and I don't recognize what the Lord's doing, if we don't recognize how the Father develops character, how he works in our life, you know what happens is this? It's easy to get offended. It's easy to get mad at God and cynical. It's easy to fall into self-pity or think that, you know, God can't really love me or, you know, I'm not lovable or God, I, he must not, I must not matter to God. And, you know, nothing can be further than the truth because during those difficult times, God is forging something. God is always doing something in our lives, whether we know it. We don't, might not know the specific thing, but overarching thing he's always doing. He's building character. He's, he's allowing in, both in times of blessing and in times of difficulty, he's forging us and he's molding us. That's why in the Old Testament, I love the illustration of, you know, Jesus or the Holy Spirit speaking to us about, you know, you, I am the potter and you're the clay. And we need to be that soft clay, you know, the, that clay on the potter's wheel. If it's hard, you can't mold it and shape it. But God wants to change us. You know, he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. And so part of that process is, is growing up to be more like him. And, and, you know, James sums this up really well in James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And I'm going to read the translation from the message because I love it so much. But it goes like this. He says, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come your way from all sides. <laughs> Don't you love that? You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and you show your true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature 
and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You know how it goes in the NIV? It says, you know, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various times. Is that your first response when you realize, hey, I can't pay my bills? Oh, thank you, Jesus, you know? You know, I hate that verse, count it all joy. Sorry, Lord, but I just, that's a tough one for me, you know? It's a struggle. You know, someone said Christians are a lot like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. And, and it's true, our true colors come out sometimes during terms of difficulty, right? I mean, you're driving down the freeway and you're, you know, you have Christian praise music on and somebody goes in front of you and you spill your coffee and you go, Wah! all of a sudden you realize, oh, where did that come from, you know? But really, our mouths are microphones of our hearts. What's in here, Jesus says, you know, out of the abundance of the mouth, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so, but God's always out to change us and to make us and to conform us into his image and likeness. So that's what the Father is up to during our times and seasons of testing and trying. I mean, no matter what you're going through, remember that overarching theme that God is always doing that. But the second question is really, really I want to camp on this morning is that what should my response be? What should my response be during times of difficulty, during times of testing, during times of waiting as we're waiting on the Lord? You know, the scripture is really clear. It says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You know, they'll mount up with wings as eagles, they'll run and not grow weary, they'll walk and not grow faint. So times of waiting and times of testing, even though we hate it and it's difficult, it's very beneficial to us. That's why we can't judge one another, but we need to come alongside and we need to encourage one another and love each other and help each other through the process because life's tough sometimes. And let's face it, man, we've got it really good if you travel to parts of the world. And man, we are the 1%, sorry. But if you've been to Africa, if you've been to Asia, if you've been to Central America, if you've been to some places I've been to, you realize that no matter what, I know it's, I'm not trying to minimize your difficulty or my difficulty, but folks, the reality is we got it pretty good. So what should my response be? But my challenge to you today is simply this. As you wait in silence, and I, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord, and by waiting, I don't mean just kind of hanging out. I just mean, yes, take the time to be still. Listen to his voice. You know, do that soul searching. And this is a great time a year or two. You know, say, Lord, try me, test me. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, change me, God. Mold me and make me. Lord, I want to be like you. You know, I've prayed that for so long. And, and sometimes I struggle against that because I don't like it when, when I'm going through difficulty. I don't like it when God's showing me the, the ugliness in my own heart or my own bad attitude, whatever it may be. But that's the process of maturity. That's how transform. Matter of fact, the word maturity in the New Testament is teleos in the Greek. And that literally means this word, this is what it means, to reach an intended end. And you know what your intended end is and my intended end is? is to be more like Jesus. That's the goal in our lives. But my challenge to you today, as we sit in this place, uh, is simply this, is to press into the Father's heart. To not only know and believe that the Father loves me and he wants to bless me, but to believe, to receive and believe that heritage, that which the Father has for us. You know, so oftentimes we, we have a great theology, we believe things, but we've yet to experience them. And I tell you, it's we need to make that incredible journey, that 18 inches from our head to our heart, so we would know those things, because during those times of the most difficult, we can hold on, because God, we know you've been faithful here. You've been faithful here. You know, it's, I think of so many times where I look back, and God reminds me of his faithfulness in my life. You know, when I pray for my kids, for their spouses, and I think about, God, oh man, my daughter Katie, she's a handful. God, how, who's, who are we going to have for him? And the Lord says, remember, I got you married, and, and then your other two kids, you know, are perfect, so I'm going to do that. So it's just, trust me, that I'm faithful, I'm a good papa, 
I care about you, and I long to see you move in that air in that way. But what I want to do when I think about this receiving our inheritance, I want to look at the pattern of the Father's love in Jesus' life and then how we can apply it to our life, even during these times of difficulty and during times of waiting. In John 17, 24, you know, John 17, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, there's in John's high priestly prayer, or Jesus' rather high priestly prayer. And this is after the Last Supper and Jesus washing the disciples' feet and just before he's going to Gethsemane. And he has this incredible prayer and he's crying out to the Father. And he says, Father... Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see your glory, the glory you've given me. Why? Because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Now, Jesus has given us an incredible glimpse into that cosmic kind of thing that happened, you know, this, this love affair that was going on between the Father and the Son, the Spirit between, before the, even the creation of the world. It's as if Jesus is kind of pulling back the curtains a little bit and saying, this is what it was like before, I, before, the, before the, um, the incarnation, this, this incredible lovemaking that's gone between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Spirit, this, this intimacy, this friendship, this, this beauty that we see. And then we see this... Uh, we see this love affair worked out between the father and the son, and this affair that was hidden could now be seen publicly in the life of Jesus. If you look through the Gospels, you can see illustrations of this all through the Gospel. The first one I think of I love is, is Jesus' baptism. You know, it's in all the Gospels, and it's a great story. And it's a story when Jesus, you know, he's going to, the, to Galilee in the Jordan to be baptized to John to fulfill all prophecy, you know. And John the Baptist sees him coming. He says, whoa, you know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, hey, man, I should be baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me so everything can be filled, right? So, we you know, Jesus goes under the water, right? And as he comes out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. And then all of a sudden, there's this voice from heaven, right, that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, Jesus received three things at his baptism that is so vital in our lives. He received the affirmation of the Father, he received the affection of the Father, and he received the blessing of the Father. Do you know... If anyone here took, has taken child psychology courses, any of that, you know the three things every child needs is affirmation, affection, and a preferred future, a blessing. And so Jesus, you know, this is my, my beloved son, the affection of the Father, in whom I'm well pleased, the affirmation of the Father. And this is beautiful. And I know a little bit, I, I think I can think a little bit how this might work because I, I told the first service, I just was reminded of this story last night when I was kind of thinking and laying in bed is that um, I, I played football at a large uh, parochial high school in Orange County called Modern Day and I was captain of the team and, and we used to play in this place called the Santa Ana Bowl. It seats 8,000 people and it's, and so it's to sold off every game. But my dad used to sit up in the stands towards the top and, and my, my, I, used to, I used to look up and I knew where my dad was every time for two things. One, because he was so loud and the second reason is because there was like this little dot because no one was sitting by him because they were just, this guy was so obnoxious, my dad. And I was a captain of the team we were doing the calisthenics, right? And my dad would go, Bobby! You know? And he'd go, that's my boy! You know, he'd scream it. And if I didn't go like this to my dad, he would, he would, he would just go, and nobody would sit by him. And I was going, hey, dad, okay. i go, oh, God, my dad is just driving me nuts, you know? <laughs> But I think that I experienced a little bit maybe what Jesus experienced, you know? I realize now that, man, my dad really loved me. That he really, that he really cared for me. That I was really important to him. 
And that was a beautiful thing. So we see Jesus receiving the affirmation, the affection of the Father. Not only that, we see it in Jesus' prayer life, right? Jesus getting up early in the morning to go pray. I don't know if anybody's ever been in the desert the Middle East where it's 110 degrees and you've got hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people pressing on you. I don't know if anybody's experienced that, but that's an exhausting thing, right? But Jesus would get up earlier, stay up late, and he'd go to this place of prayer and you think, man, I get exhausted just being at work for eight hours, you know, and I get worn out. But I, there must have been something so life-giving, something so nourishing, something so fulfilling, something so significant that he couldn't live without it. With this intimacy, this interaction with the Father, this, this, this dynamic that was carried on since creation. You know, in John chapter 5, Jesus said some incredible things. He said, you know, the Son could do nothing in and of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. But the Father loves the Son and will show him all that he's done, or he's doing, rather. So we see this incredible intimacy, Father and the Son. But I want to tell you that same relationship that you and I can have that same relationship that, that's been, we've been invited into that same relationship that Jesus had with the Father, he wants to have with us. In John 15, verse 9, Jesus said this. Now listen very carefully. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now he says, abide in my love. Now don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That, that means that the quality of love, the quantity of love, the same way that the Father loved the Son, guess what? That's how much he loves you. And me! Isn't that crazy? And then he says this, now, abide in my love. You know what that invitation is? He says, come hang out in my love. Make your home in my love. That word abide means to put your roots down, to, to go deep, to settle into my love. Do you hear the invitation that's available to each one of us? It's the love of God. This is our inheritance. This is what we need to, this is our fuel. This is our passion. This is what gets us up in the morning. This is what causes us to, to want to read the word or to want to love people that we normally wouldn't even want to hang out with, right? It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And that's what God wants to deposit in each one of our lives. So do you hear this invitation? Make yourself at home in my, in my heart today. And that's a key understanding for us. Not only believing or understanding it, but also experiencing it. It's one thing to have it as a doctrine. Yes, I believe that. But folks, we need to experience that too as well. And you say, well, fine, Bobby. You know, that, that worked for Jesus, but what about us? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, in Ephesians chapter 3, there's a great prayer the Apostle Paul prays. And by the way, as you read through the, um, the, the, uh, the epistles, have you guys noticed all the apostolic prayers that's in there? I mean, there's tremendous prayers in the New Testament. And those prayers are in there for us to see. Yes, Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus. He's praying for the Ephesians. But guess what? This is, this is for us too. And listen, this is the heart of God. This is the will of God. This is what God says. This is for every, each and every person. Not just the religious professionals or the mission. This is our inheritance as sons and daughters. Is in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I'll read it real quick. Listen to what he says. He said, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father... From whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now listen, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, me, us, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp what? 
how wide and long and how high and how deep is this love of Christ. And not only that, to know this love, that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an incredible prayer. And Jesus saying, that's yours. That's your inheritance. That's your destiny. That's something that I have for you. So Paul's praying that the church may know and understand, but also appropriate their full spiritual inheritance. Folks, we have an inheritance. And it's not, it's not, it's not a yoke of, of works and, and, oh, man, being a Christian, I'm going to just get, oh, I'm, we're going to get to heaven someday. No, man, we have this incredible inheritance now. We know in part, we see in part, we prophesy in part, but yet we can experience this now. And this is why I want to talk to you. This is so important during times of waiting because it's difficult to wait. But you can wait if you know that, God, you love me. You are Emmanuel. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. God, your word is true. You've been true to me, God. You've been faithful before. You're faithful now, and you'll be faithful in the future. You're the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be the Almighty. That's who Jesus is. And we need to grab that and hold on to it because sometimes life is, is hard. I was going to say a bad word. Sometimes life is difficult. <laughs> See, I'm getting changed all the time. <laughs> but out of the Father's unlimited resources, his glorious riches really flow two streams of the Father's blessing. The first stream that we need to appropriate for ourselves is the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, do you know that God's rich? He is stinking rich. And you know what he's rich with? You look at the theme all through the book of Ephesians. It's not buying a Mercedes or a Porsche. He's rich with mercy. He's rich in love. He's rich in grace. He's rich in goodness. He's rich in kindness. This is the riches of the kingdom. This is what our inheritance, this is what we're to receive and share. Freely we've received that. And freely we give that away to others, right? This is the kingdom. This is how it works. This is what it looks like. lost my place that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so jesus wants to shed abroad he says this this power is ours and that word power is in the greek is dudamis it literally is, is where we get the word dynamite from this is really tremendous power that God wants to give us. And so you want to think, well, why do we need power now? Why do we need to be strengthened with power in our lives? Because we can't live in a season of waiting on our own strength, on our own power. We'll become discouraged. We'll become bummed out. We'll become disappointed. We'll become cynical and jaded if we do. We're weak. We get frustrated. And we need divine enablement. Again, this was modeled by Jesus. Do you know that the ministry of Jesus flowed out of a continual experience of the Father's love and blessing in his life? And very clearly, let me give you a verse. In Acts 10, 38, it says, you know how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing, healing all who are under the power of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. If Jesus needed to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, how much more do we do? Jesus was a do-gooder. He went around doing good. And what are, we, what are we to do as a church? We're to do good. We're to take presents for those people. But you know, more than taking presents, we, we, it's, we need to know their names. We need to have that re- friendship and relationship. The beauty of that.
Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit with power. So the question I would ask is simply this. If Jesus needed to be filled, how much more do we? Why? Because I need his power in his life, and I'm unashamed about the power of God in my life. Why? Not just for signs and wonders and great things like that. I, obviously, we can't do any of those things on our own, but I need, his, I need practical power. I need his power to be a good father. I need his power to be a good husband. I need his power to be a, you know, a good servant leader, to lay my life down for the sake of others. You can't do that on your own. That takes the power of God shed abroad in our hearts. And so I unashamedly, I'm unapologetic. I'm a person in desperate need of the power of God. We all are. And God wants to pour out his power. You know, and later in the book of Ephesians says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've been called to be strong and in his power, not in our own. The power of God is our inheritance, folks. And I need to be changed on the inside. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to live a life of love. And I can't do that on my own. I need the power of God. And the New Testament teaches us that strength for the Christian life comes by indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is praying and he says, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the word may dwell is a very interesting word. It means to, that God may dwell in our hearts. That means to settle down and make his home in our heart. See, that's what God wants. He wants us to abide, to put our roots down, to make our home in his love. Jesus doesn't want a surface relationship but what he wants from us is an ever-deepening friendship and intimacy. This is what the Father, this is what Jesus so longs to have. So the first stream of the Father's blessing, that's part of our inheritance this morning, is the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm unashamed of the power of the Holy Spirit. I say, come Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I must decrease, God, and you must increase. Anybody can pray that prayer? I am so sick of me. I didn't know if anybody else was, but I, I just realized more and more as I, as I come and get a little older in Jesus, I realize, you know, God, there's so much more of me that needs to die. But Lord, thank you for your patience and your mercy in my life, God. So I pray, Lord, in honesty, even before these people, God, less and less of me, God, and more and more of you. You must increase, God, and I must decrease. That's the cry of my heart. Because I know left to myself, I rip God off. I go my own way. I do my own thing. So I, don't, I want less of me and I want more of him. But the second stream of the Father's blessing is not only the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the love of the Father. Oh, this is where it gets really good, you guys. Look at verse, the second part of verse 17. He says, I pray that you, that's us, okay, gang. I pray that you, Highlands Christian Fellowship, or church, whatever we are, I pray that you and Pastor Robos, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to do what? To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is this love of Christ. And not only that, but to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. There's a prayer, man. Hello? <laughs> this is the heart of God. This is the heart for the church today. Paul's praying that we be rooted and established in love. That word rooted is a horticultural term. It speaks of a tree with its roots going deep in the soil of the Father's love. 
You know, as a tree puts its roots down into deeper soil, they receive two things. You know, a, a tree receives nourishment, and also a tree receives stability. And so he wants us to get that nourishment and our stability to come from being secure in the Father's love. See, if you know that the Father's for you and he loves you, you can spend yourself for the sake of others. You can give yourself away. You can give without expecting anything in return. Why? Because you know that God sees it, that he knows, that he sees. See, he wants us to be rooted and established. That word established just means grounded. When we're rooted and established in the Father's love, we can wait for Emmanuel. And we can be secure in the Father's love. He says that you may be able to grasp or comprehend, to lay hold of, to fully understand. And what does he want us to grasp? He wants us to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep this love is. Do you see the vastness of God's love? It's wide and it reaches out to the whole world. It's long because it continues the length of our lives. It's high because it reaches to the heights of our celebration. And it's deep because it reaches to the depth of our despair and discouragement. That's the greatness of the Father's love. And folks, that's your inheritance. That's ours to believe and to receive and to incorporate and to appropriate into our lives. So Paul's praying that we lay hold of the vast expense, expanse rather, of the love of God. Oh God, that you would lay hold of my heart. God, that you would, you would apprehend me fully, God, that I'd be a person of love. Would to God that be the cry of the church today? And to know this love, Paul says, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a whole lot of love. That's not like a little spoonful, man. That's a, the full measure of the measure of God. I mean, that's a lot of love. That's what he's talking about. He says, he, Paul is saying that you would know this love. And it's a love that surpasses knowledge. So what, this, what the scripture is saying, there's an experiential love that's greater than knowledge that's available to you and I today. And can I say one thing? Don't settle for anything less. Sorry to get a little emotional there, but... Sometimes in the West, we settle for just intellectual things, and we, we know it because we think it's in our head, but that's not belie- it's only believing when you experience it and put it into practice. So we need to take this truth of God, we need to believe it, we need to receive it, we need to stand in silence, we need to wait for the Lord. Wait for Emmanuel, God, you're promised, God, you're with us. So God, I believe, you know, so oftentimes, I know a few guys do this, but I, I love that prayer of the one God in the New Testament that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that guy because Lord, our time is, hey, Lord, I trust, but help that part of me that struggles with trust. Lord, I believe you, but help that part of me that struggles. Lord, I forgive, but help that part of me that wants to kill that guy. I'm just being honest here. Hello, we're in church. Let's just be real, okay? We struggle with those things. Why? Because we're human beings. We're going to struggle with things between now and heaven. But we need to take that place of faith. And the more that we can experience his love and, and know his love, a love that surpasses knowledge. Why? That we might be filled up to the full measure of God. That, I don't know what the full measure of God. That sounds like a lot. But guess what? That's what's available to us. If we'd wait for Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Oh, man, that's rich. God, you're so good. You're the same. It is true. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a good God. 
Why do we need to be filled up with the full measure of God? Well, that we might reflect him, that we might be like him, that we might show a dying and a hurting world that there is a God that loves them. There's a God that's non-judgmental and loving and kind and reaches out and says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavily laden, and I'll give you rest. See, folks, people are dying to see God. Why can't they see him in us? And then Paul concludes, he says, now him who is able. <laughs> I told the first service that this, this is really funny, but do you ever see guys on TV or maybe, maybe Sean used to do this or whoever used to do, used to say, now just say this phrase after me. That drives me nuts in church, you know, now repeat after me, but I'm going to have you do it anyway. <laughs> it says, look, this is so cool. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So let's just say one time together, let's say, who is able? Okay, one, two, three. Who is able? Oh, man, I don't know if you believe it or not. But God, who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That's, oh, you don't have to say that. I was just saying that. (laughs) Gotcha. But that was really, I mean, that's who God is. He can do more than we can imagine, ask or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To you, that's the prayer, Paul's prayer, straight from the heart of God. And it's been left in perpetuity for us to be able to take this prayer and pray it back to him. Now, we have a response to take that's active and it's not passive. As we wait, what do we do as we wait? We ask. Jesus said in Luke 11, he said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, listen to what he said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So how do we get more? We ask. It's not rocket science. It takes humility. Lord, I can't do it on my own, nor do I want to do it on my own. I look to you and to your unfailing love. God, would you come today and fill me? Would you fill me with your love? Would you fill me with your presence and your power that I can be the husband, the wife, the student, the employer, God, the, the servant of you, God? that I long to be. I can't do it on my own. It's not a religious jargon, God. It's a lifestyle. And folks, that's what we need. So here's what we're going to do. Before Ben and the worship team comes up, let's all stand, okay? I'm going to ask us just to do this. I'm going to ask us, as you're comfortable, just to relax. I'm not going to make you do any, do any backflips or swing from the chandeliers. What I'm going to ask you to do is just open, close your eyes and maybe open up your heart. And if you feel comfortable, open up your hands. Just, in a, just put yourself in a posture to receive. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to leave a little time for quiet that you ask, because I, I, can only ask, I can ask for you, but only you can really ask for you. But Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you in this place, God. We thank you for the opportunity for this season of Advent as we wait for the Savior on Christmas, God. We're waiting for you today, Lord, but it's an active waiting, Lord, not a passive one. So Holy Spirit, would you come this morning and would you fill us with your presence and with your power? Come, Lord. Lord, would you fill us with our inheritance, the very love of God, that we might know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of your love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be a people filled up to the fullness measure of God. Fill us up, God, and then send us out. And then fill us again and send us out again, God. Now let's take a moment and just be still before the Lord. And you in your own place, in your own heart, you guys ask. 
Just take a minute to ask. Maybe you might want to tell him there's things that you need to turn from or maybe you need to say, God, I'm sorry I've been cynical or discouraged or whatever or hurt. Let's lay those things aside and just ask. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we receive your presence. We receive your power, God. Lord, we realize that it's a journey, so we, de- we declare with all of our hearts today, God, we want more and more of you, less and less of us, that you would increase, God, in every area and arena of our life. Amen.